Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 62 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt. In the last episode, I suggested that for a setting to be successful, it needs to have two essential qualities. It needs to be credible and it needs to be immersive. Of these two aspects, the more difficult one to define, I think, and master is creating an immersive setting. And in this episode, I'm going to look at this aspect of setting in more detail. First of all, let's explore what we mean by an immersive setting. The immersive setting is one in which the readers can lose themselves in the world that you, the author, have created. They trust your setting enough to let themselves go and be absorbed into the story you're presenting to them. When creating a setting, we want the reader to understand and imagine the scene that we present, but we also want to create an emotional connection between the reader and the story. J.K. Rowling once said this, There's always room for a story that can transport people to another place. And I think she's right. People will always love stories with this kind of power and allure. But how do you create such a story? I want to give you three practical tips that will help you to achieve this goal. And these can be summarised as one, taking the time to research and plan your backstory. Two, creating a mood and style for your setting. And three, presenting the setting with sparse, specific and sensory detail. We'll look at each of these in turn with some examples. First of all, taking the time to plan your setting will go a long way to creating the immersive experience that we're talking about here. It will also help you to ensure that your story is consistent and minimise the possibility of any continuity problems. Now, if you're not familiar with the term backstory, this is simply the history and background that, as a writer, you create for your plot and for your characters. J.R.R. Tolkien was famous for creating a vast cultural backstory for his books, including histories, languages, timelines, and cultures for the races that feature their humans, hobbits, dwarves, and elves. J.K. Rowling also created a huge backstory for her Harry Potter series. She had reams of notes about characters, magical artifacts, histories, buildings, villages, in fact, every aspect of the story. George R.R. R. Martin published a companion volume to his A Song of Fire and Ice series called The World of Fire and Ice, which contained some of the backstory that he'd created. Now, in these podcasts, I like to compare the process of telling a story to the process of building a house, and that analogy seems particularly apt right now. The story that readers see is the building, but the planning and the research and the backstory you create are the foundations, the bit under the ground that people don't see. And the bigger your building the deeper the foundations. And of course, it's the same for your writing. You'll need more foundational backstory for your seven-volume epic fantasy story than you'll ever need for a piece of flash fiction. Now, this backstory might be a work of imagination completely, or it might involve real places, real events, and real people. Backstory can be a mixture of factual history and fictional events. It can be created characters and real locations. So, for example, if your story involves a character who is living in London in the late 1940s, your backstory should comprise an accurate view of London from that time, including landmarks, historical events, roads, shops, parks, buildings that were in existence then, especially those that will impact on your story. The backstory should also take account of the prevailing economic and political situation and the cultural context in which the story happens. So the aspects of your setting that you need to think about are things like geographical and natural features of your setting, including weather and temperature, political arrangements, social and class structure, 
economic conditions, religious environment, technological and scientific advances. And you can find lists like this in plenty of places on the internet. So for example, the blogger J.S. Morin gives us a list of 20 world building questions on his site, which include things like, why is that city there? What do people eat? Who rules the place? What do people do for amusement and entertainment? And what is the architecture like? We'll explore the related issues of research, planning and backstory, both for characters and settings in more details in a future podcast. But for now, we should just be aware that this is a fundamental aspect of creating an immersive setting for your story. I know some of you will think of yourself as planners and will be fine with this. And some of you will think of yourself more as pantsers. You just go straight into a story and write it in one go. People like you will find all of this talk of planning and, and research and backstory a bit unhelpful. But the reality is, even if you don't do traditional planning, you'll still need to create a world that is coherent and consistent. So you'll need to check that coherence and consistency in your story as it progresses. Now, of course, some writers enjoy this sort of thing. They love writing histories. They love creating backstory. But for them, perhaps the thing to remember is that it, this is not an end in itself. If you create a vast history and backstory for your book and present that to the reader just in one big lump, you might end up boring them rather than enthralling them or immersing them. Backstory and planning and research are important, but there's something else you need to do if you're going to immerse the reader. You need to give all of this material that you've created a mood and a style and a flavour when you translate it into into your setting. You need to create something which not only tells the reader that this story can take its own weight, but also that it's going to hold their interest. In fact, it's going to do more than that. It's going to absorb and consume them. And this brings us to the second of the three issues that we're going to consider in relation to creating an immersive setting. And that is turning all of that backstory material that you've created into a setting which is recognisable and has almost a voice of its own and a style. Now, this is quite a subtle concept, so I'm going to illustrate it with some examples, starting with the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. So many of us have been captured by the beauty and vastness of Middle-earth. The majesty of that setting is built up gradually by Tolkien as he weaves descriptions of the setting into the story. As an example, here's a quote from The Return of the King, where Sam is struggling through the darkness of Mordor, and he looks up at a star in the sky. There, Peeping among the cloud rack above the dark tor, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Here's another quote, again involving Sam, from the moment when Frodo leaves for the Grey Havens. But to Sam, the evening deepened to darkness as he stood at the haven, and as he looked at the grey sea, he saw only a shadow in the waters that was soon lost in the west. There he stood far into the night, hearing only the sigh and murmur of the waves on the shores of Middle-earth, and the sound of them sank deep into his heart. Now, these two passages give us a vivid sense of the nature of Middle-earth, but Tolkien also gives us an example of how setting can create an emotional connection between the story and the reader. As another example, in her book The Fifth Season, N.K. Jemison creates a world where the geological forces make the landscape into a unique setting that affects the culture and people of that world. 
This culture, which is bound up with the way the world that she has created functions, defines a way of life for her characters. And some of this culture is presented in the form of holy or wise words. This approach gives the setting a particular flavour and style that draws the reader in. So, for example, in this quote. Beware ground on loose rock. Beware hail strangers. Beware sudden silence. Tablet 1 on survival, verse 3. You see how the author has created a little bit of setting, but has also created a mood and style by placing that setting into the context of mystic or religious language. So we can see that it's not enough just to do some planning and create some backstory, but it's also not enough to create this style and flavour of setting. Even though these things are important, there's one more thing that we need to think about, and it's this. We have to think about how all of this information and all of this stylistic setting can be seeded into the story. Now, I believe that the best way to do this is to seed that detail into the setting using sparse, specific and sensory language. Let me explain what I mean by that. First of all, what I mean by sparse is that only essential elements of the setting are presented. And sometimes that can just take a very few words. A great example of this is Brandon Sanderson's epic Mistborn series. The first book in that series starts with just a simple sentence. Ash fell from the sky. This gives us one small piece of setting right at the start of the book. From there, Sanderson goes on to seed in other elements of the setting. But just from those first five words, we already have an understanding of one aspect of the world he has created. So the details presented in setting have to be sparse, but they also have to be specific. A vague description of both characters and setting is dull, and it leaves the reader struggling to imagine what they should be experiencing. To see how to do it properly, let's consider the start of another great story. This is the very beginning of the first book in the Hunger Games series by Suzanne Collins. This is how that book starts. When I wake up, the other side of the bed is cold. My fingers stretch out, seeking Prim's warmth, but finding only the rough canvas cover of the mattress. She must have had bad dreams and climbed in with our mother. Of course she did. This is the day of the reaping. Do you see how this paragraph gives us some information about the broader setting for this story? We have a family, we have two sisters, and they have a mother. But we also see some very specific description. The bed is cold, the mattress has a rough canvas cover, and, mysteriously, it's the day of reaping, whatever that may be. So this opening paragraph gives a sparse but specific description, but there's also something else going on here as well. The author also uses sensory language. Subconsciously, we feel the coldness of the bed, the absence of Prim's warmth, the roughness of the canvas cover on the mattress. And also here, the author is connecting us to the story emotionally by putting in an intriguing sentence at the end of that paragraph, something about the day of reaping. Now, as readers, we're curious. This is clearly a slightly unnerving and frightening thing, whatever it is for Prim. So we want to find out more about it. And we feel ourselves becoming connected with the story. Now, many of the passages I've quoted from use sensory language to present setting. The use of sensory language gives a story edge and clarity. It gives the reader something to identify with. And one of the best ways to learn about the use of sensory language and to appreciate its power is to go to that literary medium where each word really does count and the impact has to be immediate. And that, of course, is poetry. To show us how poets can use sensory language, I've got a couple of examples to read to you. The first 
is the opening stanza of Hotel Central Rotterdam by Daniel David Moses. I am awake between stiff sheets tonight in room 34, listening to the heat tick through the radiator, seeing a television pour out news of the war, the war in the air, the war in the gulf. The walls vibrate with video light. This is no room for sleep anymore. Do you see how in that stanza the poet has appealed to the sense of touch through stiff sheets and the sense of hearing through the tick of the radiator and the sense of sight through this vibrating video light? As another example, here's a much older poem. This is the first stanza of The Ode to Autumn by John Keats. Season of mists and mellow fruitfulness, close bosom friend of the maturing sun, conspiring with him how to load and bless with fruit the vines that round the thatch eaves run, to bend with apples the mossed cottage trees and fill all fruit with ripeness to the core, to swell the gourd and plump the hazel shells with a sweet kernel, to set budding more and still more later flowers for the bees until they think warm days will never cease for summer has o'erbrimmed their clammy cells. Now here we have an indulgence of sensory language, especially touch and texture and taste and warmth. And you can see perhaps that just in these few lines of verse, Keats has created a whole setting for us and he's done it very much through this use of sensory language. Now I'm not suggesting that you should burst into poetry in the middle of your prose, although some writers do actually cultivate an almost poetic voice in their work. But the objective here is to create an immersive setting and we can use the techniques of poetry to help us deliver that sparse, specific and very sensory language that really does help to create the immersive setting we want within the story. And it's a setting that will be vivid for the reader in terms of their imagination, but also one that can evoke emotions in them and connect them to the story in that way. So to summarize, we've said that there are two essential qualities of setting, and they are that it must be credible and immersive. And in this episode, we've explored the way in which we can create an immersive setting. And we've looked at three issues related to that. First of all, taking the time to do the research and planning for your backstory. Secondly, creating a specific mood and style, almost voice for your setting. And thirdly, presenting all that setting in sparse and specific and sensory detail. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found this useful. Today I have quoted from World Building Questions from J.S. Morin at jsmorin.com, Hotel Central Rotterdam by Daniel David Moses, Ode to Autumn by John Keats, which is in the public domain, the Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson, published by Galantz. The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison, published by Orbit. The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, published by HarperCollins. And The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins, published by Scholastic. And I have also quoted from J.K. Rowling. That's all for now. I'll get some show notes up on Pinterest for this episode. We also have a group at Goodreads. If you want to join us, just go to goodreads.com, look up the Creative Writers Toolbelt. You can go to my website. It's andrewjchamberlain.com. You can drop me a line there. Please do. I love to hear about the projects that listeners are working on. And until next time, as ever, thank you for listening and goodbye. (laughs) 